perhaps even from the days of Joshua. Based on this, he explains the somewhat, somewhat curious wording of the Talmud cited earlier. Be careful to keep the customs of your forefathers and keep two days on Yom Tov. Why not simply state that we should keep two days lest there develop some sort of doubt about the correct day? However, there's a general rule that once a rabbinical enactment has been made by the Sanhedrin and accepted by the entire Jewish people, the enactment cannot be absolved but by a court that is of similar or greater in the stature and number. We do not have a court anymore that has that authority. While one would be hard-pressed to find a court that can compare to even a regular Sanhedrin, it would be impossible to find a court with the same stature as the prophets who were divinely inspired. Thus the Talmud warns that we should be careful to keep the customs of our forefathers as the custom of keeping two, do two days on y of Yom Tov in the diaspora isn't just about satisfying a doubt, but it's about adhering to the enactment of something that's been instituted by the prophets. Rabbi Goon concludes that like many other enactments of the prophets, we are often do not know the reason or secret behind their enactment. Sometimes even when we, um, when we hear the commandments, they don't make complete sense to us sometimes. But we know that uh, they're God's word, so we have, we have to follow. According to the teachers of the inner wisdom of Torah, there is a deeper meaning, perhaps even the secret of the prophets from which this Rabbi Gaon alludes for keeping the two days in the diaspora. Since holiness is more revealed in the land of Israel, the festivals can be revealed and received there in one day as the Torah commands. However, those in the diaspora are farther away from the revelation of holiness. And therefore, in order to absorb the spiritual emanations of the festivals, two days are required as the rabbis ordained. The, the, the Zezmach Zadik explains this phenomenon using a metaphor of a bright torch. When held to a close object, or when held close to an object, the light is strong and is concentrated on a small area. But when the torch eliminates an object from a distance, the light is weakened and is dispersed over a large area. Thus, the light of the festivals is revealed in the land of Israel once it, in one concentrated and focused day, while in the diaspora, the light of the festivals is weaker and is spread over two days. Passover is celebrated by eating matzah, unleavened bread, and marar, marar, hope I said that right, bitter herbs. For the duration of eight days, or seven days in Israel, kamatz, hamatz, leaven, is strictly avoided. This is also from Kabod. Passover, or Pesach in Hebrew, is one of the three major pilgrimage festivals of ancient Israel and commemorates the exodus from Egypt. Its name comes from the miracle in which God passed over the houses, house of the Israelites during the 10th plague. It's centered on the family and communal celebration of the Seder, which is the ritual meal, 
Passover is one of the most beloved of all Jewish holidays. The story of Passover is given to us in Parsha Bo, which is in Exodus 12, 21 through 51. The fifth reader of that week's Torah portion would read this passage on Shabbat, on the Shabbat of Parsha Bo. I think it's appropriate to, um, to read the text. Whenever you hear scripture, the more times you hear it, you seem to, f- to get more out of it. You seem to get things out of it that you missed to, that you, if you uh, read it before, especially as you increase your knowledge and as you become more um, studied in Torah. Then Moshe called for all the leaders of Israel and said, Select and take lambs for your families and slaughter the Pesach lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop leaves and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and smear it on the two sides and the top of the door frame. Then none of you is to go out of the door of his house until morning. For Adonai will pass through to kill the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and on the two sides, Adonai will pass over the door and will not allow the slaughter to enter your houses and kill you. You are to observe this law, you and your descendants forever. When you come to the land which Adonai will give you as he has promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what do you mean by this ceremony? Say, it is the sacrifice of Adonai's Pesach, Passover, because Adonai passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he killed the Egyptians but spared our houses. The people of Israel bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did as Adonai had ordered Moshe and Aaron. This is what they did. At midnight, Adonai killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the prisoner in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. Pharaoh got up in the night, he, all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was horrendous wailing in Egypt, for there wasn't a single house without someone dead in it. He summoned Moshe and Aaron by night and said, Up and leave my people, both you and the people of Israel. Go, serve Adonai as you had said. We'll stop for just a second. Bo, the Parsha Bo means go. Take both your flock, your herds, as he said, and get out of here but bless me too. The Egyptians pressed to send the people out of the land quickly because they said, otherwise we'll all be dead. The people took their dough before it had become leaven and wrapped their kneading bowls and their clothes on their shoulders. The people of Israel had done what Moshe had said. They had asked the Egyptians to give them silver and gold jewelry and clothing. And Adonai made the Egyptians so favorably disposed toward the people that they had let them have whatever they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. The people of Israel traveled from the Ramses to Sukkot, some 600,000 men on foot, not counting children. It doesn't say that here, but not counting women either. A mixed crowd also went up with them. Very important. As well as livestock in large numbers, both flocks and herds. They baked matzo loaves from the dough they had brought out of Egypt since it was unleavened, because they had been driven out of Egypt without time to prepare supplies for themselves. The time the people of Israel lived in Egypt was 430 years. 
that 430 years was counted from the birth of Isaac, for those of y'all that, um, that study scripture. At the end of the 430 years to the day, all the divisions of Adonai left the land of Egypt. That was the night when Adonai kept vigil to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That is the same, that, that, and this same night continues to be a night when Adonai keeps vigil for all the people of Israel through all their generations. Adonai said to Moshe and Aaron, this is the regulation for the Pesach lamb. No foreigner is to eat it. But if anyone has a slave he bought for money, when you have circumcised him, he may eat it. Neither a traveler nor a hired servant may eat it. It is to be eaten in one house. You are not to take any of the meat outside the house. You are not to break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel is to keep it. If a foreigner stand with you wants to observe Adonai's Pesach, all his males must be circumcised. Then he may take part and observe it. He will be like a citizen of the land, but no uncircumcised person is to eat it. The same teaching is to apply equally to the citizen and to the foreigner living among you. All the people of Israel did just as Adonai had ordered Moshe and Aaron on that very day. Adonai brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their divisions. That was from uh, David Stern's version of uh, the Bible called the Complete Jewish Bible. There is so much in that passage that we could spend the whole hour, or whatever's left, just, just talking about that. But we're here to study Passover, so I'm going to keep, keep going. The origins of, origins of Passover lie in the pre-Israelite spring celebrations of the first grain harvest, and the birth of the first lambs of the season. In the Jewish context, it celebrates God's great redemptive act at the time of the Exodus, leading the Israelites out from slavery in Egypt to freedom. Together with Shavuot, the festival of weeks, and Sukkot, the festival of booths, Passover is one of the three ancient Israelite pilgrimage festivals during which adult males journeyed to the temple of Israel the temple in Jerusalem, I'm sorry, to offer sacrifices and bask in the divine presence. Since the destruction of the second temple in 70 CE, the focus of Passover shifted to the ritual meal called the Seder, which normally takes place in the home. In addition, in anticipation of Passover, it is traditional to engage in a thorough spring cleaning during the holiday, the food reflects the major theme of Passover and is, in, and is intended to help Jews relive God's redemptive act. I'll bet in a vicarious manner. Because the Israelites had no time to let their bread rise as they hurriedly left Egypt, Jewish law forbids eating or even possessing any food that contains leaven, leaven grains. Therefore, a major portion of the preparations for Passover consists of removing all traces of leavened foods from the home and replacing them with unleavened foods. This necessitates both a massive cleanup and the replacement of one's ordinary dishes with special Passover ones. It also requires a shopping expedition to stock the kitchen with special kosher for Passover foods. The Torah is more stringent regarding hamats, hamets, than in, with any other for, forbidden food. 
it prohibits not only consumption, but also possession of hamets, and even mixtures of hamets. The search for hamets begins on the night before Pesach, Nisan 14, which will be Thursday of this week. As soon as it becomes dark, it is an event in which the whole family participates, concluding with the disposal of the hamets the next morning. The central ritual of Passover is the Seder, a carefully choreographed ritual meal that typically takes place in the home. A number of symbolic foods are laid out on the table, of which the most important is the matzah, the unleavened bread of affliction. The Seder follows a script laid out in the Haggadah, a book that tells the story of the redemption from Egypt. Although the Haggadah is a traditional text, Many people add to it and revise it in accord with their theology and understanding of God's redemptive actions in the world. Although the focus of Passover observance is, is on the home, on the first and last days, traditional Judaism prohibits working. There are special synagogue services, including special biblical readings, among them Shar HaSharim, the Song of Songs, and Hallel, which are psalms of praise and thanksgiving. The last day of Passover is one of the four times a year that the Yitzkor service of remembrance is recited. The Yitzkor is a memorial prayer for departed loved ones that is recited in the synagogue four times a year. It's for loved ones that typically passed away during the year. The days that they do that are the eighth day of Passover, the second day of Shavuot, Yom Kippur, and Shemini Azret, which is Simchat Torah, which is the eighth day of Sukkot. And that's where we, when we transition to a new Torah cycle. The overarching theme of Passover is redemption. After all, this is the holiday that celebrates God's intervention in history to lead the Israelites from slavery to freedom. It is the time to celebrate God as the great liberator of humanity. The divine redemption of the Israelites thus becomes the blueprint for the Jewish understanding of God and divine morality and ethics. One of the most quoted Bible passages in this is the prophecy that a redeemer shall come to Zion. It's in Isaiah 59:20. The redeemer is described as a king who shall reign and govern wisely. He shall do what is right and just in the land. In the days Judah shall be saved. In his days Judah shall be saved. Israel shall dwell in security. This is Jeremiah 23, 5, 6. The principal features of this expectation are the recovery of independence, an era of peace and prosperity, of faith in God and his Torah, of justice and brotherly love among men, and of the ingathering of the homeless exiles. The second book of the Maccabees quotes a prayer which reads, Gather together our scattered people. Set at liberty those who are in slavery. Look upon those who are despised, and let the nations know that thou art God. The tenth benediction of the Shimone Israel prayer says, Sound the great shofar for our freedom. Lift up the banner to bring our exiles together and assemble us from the four corners of the earth. 
Messiah is all about redemption. Anyone who does not believe in him or does not await his coming denies not only the statements of the other prophets, but those of the Torah and Moses, our teacher. That is from Mamamides. Mamamides doesn't believe in Yeshua, but he knows that there's a Messiah coming. I mean, I mean, he's not around anymore. He did not believe in Yeshua. That's from his Mishnah Torah, Law of the Kings, 11.1. 1. In that era, there will neither be famine or war. Envy or competition for good will flow. I'm sorry, let me start over again. Envy or competition for good will flow in abundance and all delights will be as freely available as dust. The occupation of the entire world will be solely to know God. Therefore, the Jews slash Torah scholars will be great sages and know the hidden matters, grasping the knowledge of their creator according to the full extent of human potential. As Isaiah writes in 11.9, the world will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the ocean bed. Messiah is a Jewish concept. In other words, the belief in a coming redeeming Messiah originated and is still a pillar of the Jewish faith. The following is from uh, a book of Jewish concepts by Philip Birnbaum. It's from the Hebrew Publishing Company. Originally, the term Mashiach was applied to any person anointed, anointed with the holy oil and consecrated to carry out the purposes of God, the high priest or the king. The title was given to the Persian king Cyrus, chosen to liberate Israel from Babylonia. When David received the divine promise that the throne would remain in his family forever in 2 Samuel 7.13, the title acquired a special reference and signified the representative of, a of the royal line of David. The prophetic vision of the eventual establishment of the divine kingship on earth came to be identified with the restoration of Israel under the leadership of the Messiah, the Lord's anointed one. The traditional outlook of Judaism is that the Messiah will be the dominating figure of an age of universal peace and plenty. He will bring about a thoroughly restored Israel. He will bring about the spiritual regeneration of humanity when all will blend into one brotherhood to perform righteousness with a perfect heart. On that day, the Lord shall be one and his name one, as it says in Zechariah 14.9. The Jewish prayers are replete with references to the messianic hopes and aspirations. There's hardly a prophet of note who does not mention the Messiah and the Messianic Age. The prophetic view is that nature itself will be transformed in the Messianic days, when the power of death will be limited. In the golden age of humanity, there will be a return to longevity, and those who die, a hundred, who die at a hundred will be reckoned as but children, prematurely cut off for their sins. No sound of weeping, no voice of crying shall be heard. No child shall die anymore in infancy, nor any old man who has not yet lived out the years of his life. He who dies young lives a hundred years. That's Isaiah 65, 19 through 20. The signs heralding the advent of Messiah at the time of captivity are described in the Mishnah, 
Sota 9.15, in such terms as these. With the footprints of the Messiah, insolence will increase. The vine will yield its fruit, but the vine will be costly. Scholarship will degenerate. Piety will be rejected. The truth will be nowhere to be found. Youth will be impudent, and a man's enemies will be members of his own household. A Midrashic statement says that three days before the advent of the Messiah, Elijah will appear on the mountains of Israel and exclaim, O mountains of Israel, how long will you remain waste and desolate? Then he will, he will proclaim world peace, and God will redeem Israel. In Malachi 3, 23-4, Elijah is introduced as a type for all times, occupying a prominent place in Jewish lore as the prophet who will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the heart of the children to their fathers before the coming of the great day of the Lord. This has led to Elijah's being described in Jewish tradition as the forerunner of the Messiah. Since the Messiah may appear at any time and from any parentage, Elijah's name is associated with every circumcision celebrated on a birth milah. The invisible presence of Elijah at the Seder celebration is derived from the idea of the Passover of the future as contrasted with the Passover of Egypt. There's a Talmudic statement which reads, Blasted be the bones of those who calculate the end. For when the calculated time comes and the Messiah does not appear, people will despair of his ever coming. Hence, Maimonides writes, All these matters concerning the coming of the Messiah will not be known to anyone until they happen. In the messianic days, there will no longer be hunger or war, no jealousy or strife. Prosperity will be universal, and the world's predominant occupation will be to know the Lord. This is based on the prophecy which envisions the eradication of evil from human society and a corresponding regeneration of the rest of creation. As it says in Isaiah 11, 6, 9, the, then the wolf shall lie with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid. Understanding that the belief in Messiah is a pillar of Judaism, and that the overarching theme of Passover is redemption, shows us why God chose Passover as the time for, Meshua, for Yeshua's redemptive act. It gives profound meaning to all the details of the trials Yeshua endured for his people. The timing of the events of that Passover in the last years of Yeshua's life here on earth were coordinated to show the connection between Yeshua's redemptive act and God's redemptive act during the Exodus. From the time of his death at the ninth hour, which is the same hour as the sacrificial lambs were being sacrificed at the temple, to the time of his resurrection on the day of the first fruits, the events were telling his people the significance of what was taking place if they only had eyes to see and ears to hear. The words of the prophets were coming true before their very eyes. The Seder has been celebrated for over 3,500 years and it's the beginning of the yearly pattern of the Lord's redemption of his people lived out through his Moedim, his appointed times. As I said earlier, there are three biblically mandated pilgrimage festivals that the Jewish people were to come to Jerusalem to the temple and come before Adonai. Pesach, Shavuot, and Sukkot. 
Each of these Moedim gives us God's plan of salvation for his people. Pesach is the remembrance of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's redemption of his people from slavery in Egypt. It's also a time our Messiah Yeshua redeemed his people from the slavery of sin. Shavuot is the celebration of the giving of the Torah to his people on Mount Sinai. It's also remembered as the time the apostles received the Ruach HaKodesh from God and were ordained with a divine power to teach the gospel. Sukkot is the culmination of salvation with God living amongst his people. It is during this time that we will celebrate the great feast with our Messiah in the Messianic Kingdom. When we add in Yom Teruah and Yom Kippur as ushering in of the Messianic Kingdom and its prevailing judgment, and writing of our names in the book of life or the book of death, the pattern of salvation is complete. Today, or this week, we're going to celebrate Pesach. We are Messianic Jewish believers. Most m modern Messianic Jewish believers are Gentile and grafted into the nation of Israel by virtue of their belief in the Jewish Messiah, Rabbi Yeshua. Messianic believers are not Christians but instead are followers of the traditions of the apostles and the disciples of Yeshua in the first century, fully embracing all the traditions of God's chosen people. We fully follow the scriptures given to us by Hashem. Haggadah, see if I can find Haggadah here. I had a couple of more slides of uh, Yeshua. Okay. Haggadah means telling. Seder means order. Pesach commemorated the Jewish people's exodus from Egypt in the year 2448. On Nisan 15, 2448, Moshe led, Moshe led the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt and began what turned into a 40-year journey to the Promised Land and realization of the covenant that God had initiated with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The miracles of Exodus also implanted in the Jewish people faith in Hashem, preparing the Jews for acceptance of the Torah and its mitzvot. The mitzvot of the Seder, including the Haggadah recital, the eating of matzah and more, and the drinking of the four cups of wine, all served to conjure images of our slavery and salvation embedding within our hearts the reality of the momentous birth of the nation. Because Pesach recalls the all-important foundation of our heritage, there is a mitzvah on this night to discuss the myriad of Exodus events with one's children. The Seder's dialogue transmits Jewish belief from one generation to the next, faithfully preserving our identity throughout time. Pesach is the night we explain to our children why we are Jewish or why we believe, in our messianic case, and why we observe the mitzvahs of Torah and what the meaning of the observance is, why we attach ourselves to Jewish people, I guess I should say, in the messianic case. The month of Nisan. I need to... The book of Exodus tells us that the month of Nisan, also called Aviv, is to be reckoned as the beginning. Hashem spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, 
This month shall be to you the beginning. Bereshit, Bereshit of months. It shall be the first month for you. To determine the beginning of the festivals, Hashem placed the sun, moon, and stars in the sky, allowing the Betnin, which is the court on earth, to determine and declare the seasons, as the book of Genesis said. God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to divide the day from the night, and let them be signs for the seasons, and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the sky to give light on earth. And so it was. This is in Genesis 1, 14 through 15. These heavenly bodies, which are arranged in patterns and designed to be signs, that is, they are tools for determining days and years. Hashem arranged the stars as tools to determine the times of the year and encoded great significance into their patterns. On the 10th of Nisan, the first generation to be redeemed from Egypt were commanded to take a lamb into their houses. On the 10th, speak to all the congregation of Israel, saying, On the 10th of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to his father's houses, a lamb for his household. Exodus 12.3 On the 14th of Nisan, which is the eve of Passock, or the Ur of Passock, Pesach, the serve of Hametz, Hametz should commence, the search for Hametz should commence immediately after nightfall, following the 13th of Nisan. Firstborn males are obligated to fast from the morning of Ur Pesach until nightfall. The purpose of this fast is to recall the miracle of Hashem passing over the Jewish homes, sparing their firstborns from the plague. The Passover sacrifice, which is the Korban Pesach, also known as the sacrifice of Passover, or the Paschal Lamb, or the Passover Lamb, is the sacrifice that the Torah mandates Jews to richly slaughter on the eve of Passover and to eat on the first night of the holiday with bitter herbs and matzah. One of the themes of uh, our seders is the Seder plate. The six items on the plate each hold a special meaning for the Jewish people. So let's take a look at the stories behind these. The bitter herb, the egg, and the other common Passover foods. Most often, Mara is placed in the middle of the arrangement. This is the bitter herb that allows modern Jews to taste bitterness, the bitterness of their ancestors' slavery. Most modern Seder plates feature grated horseradish as Mara, Marar. I struggle with this. Kazaret is another bitter herb follow, featured on the plate. Today, this might be romaine lettuce. Although we wouldn't think of romaine lettuce as, bitterly, as particularly bitter, when the stem is left in the ground too long, it becomes hard and unpleasant, much like the Israelite slaves confined under the Pharaoh. Carpus, carpus is a fresh vegetable. Most Seder plates today use parsley or celery that symbolizes the arrival of springtime and new life. It also represents the initial settlement and flourishing of the Israelites during the first years in Egypt. As part of the Passover ritual, the harpus is dipped into salt water or vinegar. Harpus. This is so celebrants can taste the hope of new birth along with the bitter tears of the Israelite slaves. The word karaset comes from the Hebrew word keres. Keres, I think, 
which means clay. But that gives short rift to the delicate satyr plate. The karaset represents the clay and mud bricks made by the Israelites during their years of labor in Egypt. In these modern times, it's a mixture of apples, red wine, cinnamon, and walnuts. However, ingredients can vary according to the, whoever serves the Seder plate. Italian Jews prefer their karaset with chestnuts, while Egyptian Jews add dates. The zaroa is a, perhaps the most visually striking item on the Seder plate, a roasted shank bone. Lamb, goat, or even poultry is commonly used, presented most often near the top of the platter. This roasted bone represents the lamb the ancient Jews sacrificed on the eve of their Egyptian exodus. The meat isn't what is important here, but the bone itself, leading many families to start a tradition of having a roast in the days leading up to Passover. Then the bare leftover leg on the plate of the Seder comes from that roast. Vegetarians take note. If you don't want to have a leg of lamb on your holiday table, table many contemporary Jews do so by substituting a roasted beet. Instead, the red of the beet symbolizes the blood of the sacrifice without any of the actual blood. One of the most controversial things is the roasted egg, or the bitza. It finishes our tour around the Seder plate. The egg isn't eaten during the celebration, so most cooks just hard boil it and then give it a few minutes in the hot oven or on the stovetop to make it look roasted. The roundness of the egg symbolizes the cycle of life the hope for new birth, and the renewal of the Passover holiday. The Seder plate occupies center stage at the Passover meal. It has the carpus, the parsley, the marar, the bitter herbs, the karaset, the apples, nuts, and spices, the zarah, the lamb shank bone, and the bitzah, the egg. But a look at scripture shows us that Passover started a bit more simply. The first Passover in Exodus 12 mentions three essentials the Passover lamb, the bitter herbs, and the unleavened bread. All these other things were added by the rabbis later. So where did all these things come from? The answer lies in the forces of history and the God-given ability of the Jewish people to keep their heritage alive even as they reshaped traditions as their reshaped traditions needed to be dictated. The historical event that most greatly altered the celebration of the Passover was the destruction of the temple, not the second temple, but the first temple in 586 BC. Why? Because that, from that day until the time of the rebuilding of the second temple, temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, the sacrifice of the lamb could not be offered in Jerusalem. This meant that the central event of the Passover, the sacrifice, was taken away. What had been an actual event must now be preserved as a memory, complete with the illustrations embodied in the elements of the Seder that had not been there before, just like we experience today. The earliest mention of a Passover Seder as we know it today comes in the Mishnah. This written version of the Jewish oral law, which was compiled by Judah HaNasi, the prince, in the second century. That's the first mention of the... Uh, the the Seder. The great sage, Maimonides codified much of Jewish practice in the 11th century, and Joseph Carroll, another towering scholarship of Jewish faith, authored Sulkan Aruch, which is a prepared table, which was printed in 1565, and that is the basis for the order of the traditional Passover observation today. 
So it doesn't go back thousands of years. It just goes back hundreds of years. As with many other Jewish festivals and observances, the artistic impulse plays an important and edifying role in the ritual articles associated with the Passover. However, prior to the Renaissance, there are no examples of beautifully fashioned Seder plates like we find today. The first we hear of something resembling the Seder plate is a basket called a Carrara in 1000 AD. However, starting in the 16th century in Spain and Italy, we find these beautiful Seder plates that we see made out of wood, porcelain, and copper. The Passover egg. One of the most intriguing elements of the Seder plate is the Bezak egg. Although no one knows how it came to be placed on the Seder plate, the egg became to Israel another symbol of sacrifice in place of the slaughtered lamb. Yet while the emphasis on sacrifice has always called us to remember the shedding of blood for atonement, the symbol of the egg calls us to consider the newness of life made possible by that sacrifice. Curiously enough, this interpretation found its way into the church from almost its, from its early days. Easter eggs at one time were called Pesach eggs. The Seder plate has all the elements of Messiah's life. Suffering, sacrifice, and the resurrection. It tells the story not only of Israel's exodus from slavery in Egypt into the freedom of the promised land, but also our exodus from the bondage of the sin into everlasting life. In Messiah, we find gloriously filled, fulfilled the things toward which the Seder plate has pointed all along. In him, the Passover celebration becomes a banquet at which the king of creation is praised and worshipped and joy is heaved upon joy forever. One of the things we do here at Beth Adonai that you'll start to receive if you get your emails every day from the congregation is the counting of the Omer. You shall also count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day when you brought a sheaf in the wave offering, there shall be seven complete Sabbaths, Leviticus 23:15. According to the Torah, we are obligated to count the days from Passover to Shavuot. This period is known as the counting of the Omer. An Omer is a unit of measure. On the second day of Passover, in the days of the temple, an omer of barley was cut down and brought to the temple as an offering. This grain offering was also referred to as the omer. Every night, from the second night of Passover to the night before Shavuot, we recite a blessing and state the count of the omer in both weeks and days. So on the 16th day, you'd say today is 16th days, which is two weeks and two days of the omer, and so on and so forth. This is the prayer. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'alam, Asher kidshenu, b'mitzvotav, v'zit v'nu, al sefirat ha'omar. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of the Omer. And today is the, whatever day it is, of the Omer. And we add, Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments and commanded us to be a light to your nation and has given us Yeshua, our Messiah, the light of the world. We also do Psalm 67. For the leader 
with string instruments, a psalm, a song. God, be gracious to us and bless us. Make, may he make his face shine toward us, Selah, so that your way may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. Let the people give thanks to you, God. Let the people give thanks to you, all of them. Let the nations be glad and shout for joy, for you will judge the peoples fairly and guide the nations on earth. Let the people give thanks to you, God. Let the people give thanks to you, all of them. The earth has yielded its harvest. May God, our God, bless us. May God continue to bless us so that all the ends of the earth will fear him. The Torah commands that during this time of year, we count 49 days or seven weeks from the day of the Sabbath of the Passover week, from the day after the Sabbath of the Passover week. The 50th day is the Feast of Shavuot, which means weeks. From the counting of the seven, seven weeks, Shavuot celebrates the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai. To this day, the Jewish people still keep the Feast of Shavuot. Yeshua rose three days after his death, right? He spent um, until ten days before Shavuot with his disciples. During this period of time, he taught his disciples a crash course because they came a long way in those 40 days to be able to do all that they were able to do and be as wise as they were when they were making all those decisions they made after he was gone or we would not be standing here today. The foremost reason to obey the Lord is that the count demonstrates our thrill for the impeding occasion of receiving the Torah. God's loving instruction. Just as a child often counts the days until the end of school or an upcoming family vacation, we count the days to show our excitement at again receiving the Torah. Counting in anticipation of an exciting event is quite understandable. Also, it's not really a countdown, but a count up as we ascend to the mountain of the Lord. To better understand, we first need to answer one basic question. Why did God wait 50 days after the Jews left Egypt before the giving of the Torah? Why didn't he simply give it to them in Egypt or immediately after their departure? The answer is that the Jews were not yet spiritually equipped to receive the Torah. For over 200 years, they'd been living in, in an Egyptian society known to the world as a center of immorality and vice. The high-impact adventure of the Exodus, ten miraculous plagues and the splitting of the Red Sea, launched the Jews into physical freedom. Yet a one-time experience, as powerful as it is, does not permanently change anyone's emo emotional attitude. Spiritual growth is like climbing a ladder. You must take one step at a time. The growth that occurs during this time is akin to a marathon. We pace ourselves and we seek to improve day by day until we reach the day that we again receive the Torah. But life is not a race to beat the other guy. Life is only a race to conquer your inner self. As we climb the ladder, it's more important in which direction we're headed rather than, rather than which rung that we're on. Don't just count the omer. Make the omer count. The master's resurrection makes the counting of the omer a season of special significance and joy. 
For his disciples, it is a time to remember the resurrected Yeshua. All of his post-resurrection appearances and ascension fell within the days of the Omer count. He ascended on the 40th day of the counting of the Omer. There are some important days in, um, in Pesach that um, if you don't really dive into, you wouldn't know. Um, one of the first ones is today. Today is Shabbat Hagadol, which is the great Sabbath. It's the uh, Sabbath that precedes Passover. The first day of Passover is called Yom Rishon Shel Pesach. Rishon being first, which means first day of Passover. That's on April 20th, or, or this year, it's actually on Nisan, it's on Shabbat. It actually falls on Shabbat this year, which is, I wouldn't say unusual, it happens, you know, but it's kind of rare. Um, but there's special readings in the Torah, there's special things on those days for you to get a lot of significance out of, out of the festival. There's also Yom Shani Shel Pesach. Shani meaning second, the second day of Passover. That's April 21st. There's the same thing. There's special Torah readings, special um, half Torah readings. And then there's uh, the intermediate days, which they call Kol Hamoed, which begins on the third day of Passover after Nisan. And then there's Shabbat Kol Hamoed Pesach, which is the... Um, Intermediate Shabbat of Passover, which actually falls right at the end. It falls on the, on the eighth day of Passover this year, which is um, the, uh, the, 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 called the Akron Shell Pesach, which is the final day of Pesach. In conclusion, in Exodus, the Jewish people and the mixed multitude from Egypt is not an isolated event. It's the cornerstone of the Jewish people accepting the Torah and the foundation of the nation's experience until the ultimate salvation, which will take place with the advent of Messiah. And for those of us that are believers in Yeshua, the second advent of Messiah. Thus, the understanding and the retelling of the story of Israel's redemption, while primarily performed to fulfill the commandment to retell the story of the Exodus on the night of Pesach, actually feels a much broader purpose. Pesach, Passover, is the beginning of God's plan of redemption that is lived out every year in honoring his Moedim, his appointed times. Each of these appointed times has significance to fit into God's plan of redemption for his people. And so the annual pattern of God's redemption is renewed on Pesach, just as we renew a Torah cycle on uh, Shemani Yisrael Ezra at the beginning of the Torah. Pesach is redemption, past, present, and future. Shavuot is the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai to his people and the Ruach HaKadosh to Yeshua's disciples to teach and accompany both of them on their missions. Yom Teruah, um, Rosh Hashanah, is judgment day. Yom Kippur, ten days later, is the day we are written into the Lamb's Book of Life or the book of death. Sukkot is the eight-day festival that we celebrate God living with his people. We rehearse the feast at the table of Messiah when all the ones written into the Lamb's book of life will bask in the glory of Messiah at this wonderful reception. Imagine the spiritual renewal you'll experience. 
many times in eternity. Let those with eyes to see and ears to hear see and hear. May the Lord add blessing to his word. So let, let me close with a, uh, with a prayer. And, and uh, here's a happy Pesach slide for everybody. Avinu Shabashimayam, our Father in heaven. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for giving me the time to go through and put this together and to have the health and the mind to be able to present it. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to be a part of Beth Adonai, and thank you for everybody that's here today that's a part of your congregation, Father. Thank you for the knowledge that you've given to each of us, that you've opened our eyes and our ears to the Jewishness of Messiah and how important that is for us to understand and that even though Messiah came for everyone, we must understand him in a Jewish concept and a Jewish, from a Jewish perspective to be able to truly understand some of the teachings that he's giving us. Father, I pray that as we go into the world and as we go through the remainder of our service today that you'll be with us and that when we do go, go and, and come before others that you will show you and us in all that we do. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.